Does the Bible really say that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy? Welcome to the Biblically Correct Podcast. Shalom, y'all. This is the Biblically Correct Podcast, teaching biblical correctness in a biblically incorrect world. My name is Kevin Jeffrey, and I am a Jewish follower of the Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, and I love teaching the scriptures. Now, without thinking about it, just answer true or false. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What was your answer? Now, if you've ever been exposed to any kind of Bible teaching, you probably said true. After all, this is a pretty standard teaching. But would you be surprised to learn that that's not actually what the Bible says? Today, I want to talk about this idea that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and why this topic is so important for you to understand though it may not be for the reason that you think. I want to look at three things today. Why teachers teach us this doctrine, where in the Bible the idea comes from, and what the scriptures actually say about it. So let's get right into it. You ready? Here we go. You've probably heard it a million times. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So what does this mean? Why do teachers teach us this? Why do they like to repeat it? Well, it gives us comfort when something bad happens to us. It tells us that it's not our fault. We don't like to accept the consequences for our actions. So if we are in any way the cause of our problems, we would rather not have to deal with that reality. To that end, the idea that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy can also give us someone else to blame. That is, it gives us an enemy someone to fight and to focus on, especially in prayer. The idea being that prayer is a battle and we achieve victory by praying against our enemy. Now, while it's true that Hasatan, Satan, the devil is real, and there are times when spiritual forces do come against us, the reason bad things usually happen to us is simply because of life. We live in a fallen world where bad things are not reserved for bad people and good things are not reserved for good people. Yeshua, Jesus, says as much in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. The Father causes his Son to rise on evil and good alike, and he sends rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. So there is at least a well-meaning intention behind the teaching that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, even if it's not in the Bible. But good intentions don't make good teaching. So if the Bible doesn't say that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, where does the teaching come from? Well, it comes at least in part from John chapter 10, verse 10, which says, The thief does not come except that he may steal and kill and destroy. So it doesn't say devil, but thief Can we then understand thief to mean devil here? Let's explore this a little. What does the Bible say about the devil or the accuser? 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says, The devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may swallow up. So if we want to make the point that the devil steals, kills, and destroys, we can try to reason it out from this verse like this. The devil is like a lion. Lions swallow up or devour their prey, devouring is killing, and killing destroys life. Could we also say that it steals life from its prey? 
So we might be able to make the case from this verse that the devil steals, kills, and destroys. But if we look closely, all this verse really tells us is that the devil seeks those to swallow up and does not explicitly say that he has the power to do it. John 10, however, is explicit if it's talking about the devil. But is it really necessary to say that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy in order to establish that the devil wishes us harm? Besides knowing that he wants to devour us, we know that the devil is an enemy of the sower in the parable of the weeds, Matthew chapter 13, verse 39. He is a tempter, Luke chapter 4, verse 2, and Mark chapter 1, verse 13. The devil wants to take away the word from our hearts, Luke chapter 8, verse 12, and Mark chapter 4, verse 15. The devil is an oppressor, Acts 10, 38. He is an ensnarer, 2 Timothy 2, chapter 26. He has the power of death, Hebrews 2, verse 14. He has been sinning from the beginning, 1 John 3, 8. And the devil is Satan. The accuser is our adversary, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. So we know that the devil wants only evil for us, and he would kill us if he could. But do the scriptures really support the idea that the devil has that kind of daily influence over our lives to steal, kill, and destroy? Consider James chapter 4, verse 7. Be submitted then to God. Stand up against the accuser, the devil, and he will flee from you. So for all the tempting, oppressing, ensnaring, and accusing, as a follower of Yeshua, Jesus, you are under his protection such that when you submit to God, you are able to stand up against the devil and he will flee from you. So if we are truly in Yeshua, why should we be concerned about all that the devil wants to do to us, much less the idea of him having the ability to steal, kill, and destroy? So now we know what the Bible says about the devil. He doesn't like us at all. But how certain does all that make us that the devil is the thief in John chapter 10? How can we be so sure that the thief is the devil? I mean, what about John chapter 12, verses 5 through 6, where Judas says, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 days wages and given to the poor? And he said this not because he was caring for the poor, but because he was a thief. So John says that Judas was a thief. And he tells us this only two chapters after what Yeshua had said in John chapter 10. Maybe Yeshua is talking about Judas in John 10. Or how about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 2? For you yourselves have known thoroughly that the day of the Lord will come in this way, as a thief in the night. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, and it will come the day of the Lord as a thief. Maybe God is the thief in John 10. Or what about Revelation 3, 3, where Yeshua is speaking, saying, remember then how you have received and heard and be paying attention to it and reform. If then you do not awake, I will come as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. And again, in 1615, look, I come as a thief. Could Yeshua be talking about himself in John 10, that he is the thief? Now, obviously, these explanations are absurd. There is no way that God or Yeshua is the thief in John 10. 
But how do we know for sure? How can we defend these explanations as wrong if all we're doing is using our reasoning? If all we're doing is saying, well, that can't be correct because it doesn't make sense to us. Who's to say it won't make sense to someone else? This is why reasoning can't be the way we determine that the thief is the devil. Just because it fits the narrative or teaching we already have in our heads about how bad the devil is, that doesn't mean we can hold to a belief about something that we can't justify with scripture and then steal that justification from some other verse. That's not how you responsibly use the Bible. So how can we know for sure that the thief is in John 10 really is? Who is the thief? Let's look at John 10. The backdrop of John 10 begins in chapter 9. In John chapter 9, verse 1, and the following verses, we find that Yeshua has healed a man who has been blind from birth. And people are asking how he was able to see. Then in verse 13, the man is brought before the Pharisees. And they also ask him, how are you able to see? So the man tells them what Yeshua did, but the Pharisees don't believe that he had really been blind. Then in verse 19, they call his parents to testify whether or not he had actually been born blind. And in verse 24, they call the man back to give additional testimony. And here's where we, where we can pick up in John chapter 9, verse 24. So for a second time, they called the man who was blind and they said to him, give glory to God. We have known that this man, that is Yeshua, is a sinner. Then he answered, if he is a sinner, I have not known. One thing I have known, that being blind, now I see. Then they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, but you did not hear. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? (laughs) I love that every time. Then in verse 28, the Pharisees get really defensive, seeing that their authority and power are being challenged. Verse 28, and they spoke evil of him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. So they're trying to assert their authority and control in the situation by slandering and discrediting Yeshua by implying that he's a sinner. Continuing in verse 29, we have known that God has spoken to Moses, but this one we have not known where he is from. So they've asserted their authority and dismissed Yeshua's authority. This is what it means when they say, we have not known where he is from. In other words, we don't recognize his authority. Continuing in verse 30, the man answered and said to them, indeed, in this is a thing of marvel that you have not known where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. In other words, the man is saying, that's quite an authority you are asserting there for those who don't see the obvious authority of one who opens blind eyes. Then the man born blind begins to school the Pharisees. Continuing in verse 31, we have known that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. From the age, it was not heard that anyone opened the eyes of one who has been born blind. If this one were not from God, he would not be able to do anything. So the man born blind asserts that Yeshua gets his authority 
not from the Pharisees, but from God. And since this insults and threatens the Pharisees, they start slandering the man. Continuing in verse 34, they answered and said to him, you were born completely in sins and you dare teach us. And they threw him out. Then in verse 35, Yeshua learns about what happened with the man who had been born blind and the Pharisees overhear him speaking. In verse 39, Yeshua says, I came to this world for judgment so that those not seeing may see and those seeing may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and they said to him, are we also blind? Yeshua said to them, if you were blind, you would be as not having had sin. But now that you say we see your sin remains. So Yeshua ends the encounter by telling the Pharisees that they are the ones who are actually blind and this blindness keeps them steeped in their sin. So John nine depicts the Pharisees one being defensive and slanderous with their, when their authority is threatened two, trying to assert their authority over the man who had been born blind and three attempting to discredit and dismiss God's authority in Yeshua. This is the backdrop for John chapter 10. So the narrative goes directly from Yeshua declaring the sin of the Pharisees in chapter 9 to talking about the allegory of the thief in the sheep's pen in chapter 10. Let's look at that. Chapter 10, verse 1. Amen, amen, I say to you, he who is not entering through the door to the courtyard of the sheep, but is going up the wall from another side, that one is a thief and a robber. But he who is entering through the door is shepherd of the sheep. So in this allegory, Yeshua is the shepherd juxtaposed with a thief who tries to gain access to the sheep illegitimately. Then verse in verse three through five, Yeshua discusses the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep and how they will not recognize the voice of a stranger. In verse six, it says the people didn't understand the allegory. So Yeshua then said again, continuing in verse seven, Amen, amen, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All, as many as came before me, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone comes in through me, he will be saved, and he will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief does not come except that he may steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they may have life and may have it abundantly. So here we find several things in Yeshua's expansion of the allegory. First, the broad topic of the allegory is authority. Whose voice will the sheep recognize? Second, the key to understanding who the thief is, is found in verse eight. As many as came before me, the sheep did not hear them. Do you see that? As many as came before me, the sheep did not hear them. Also, it says that there are thieves and robbers here. They are, they're plural. There are multiple, many thieves. And third, and this is really important, the thief is trying to steal the sheep from the shepherd, not steal things from the sheep. The typical teaching that the devil comes to steal kill and destroy says or implies that the devil is trying to take something from you. But in John 10, 
you are the sheep. The thief is not trying to steal something that belongs to you. He's trying to steal you away from the shepherd. Now think back to chapter 9. The Pharisees were trying to assert their authority to discredit Yeshua and to get the man born blind to deny what Yeshua did and accept their authority over his. This is the point of the allegory of the sheep pen. Who then are the thieves? Who is the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy? Well, according to the scriptures, it's the Pharisees, and more generally, the guardians of the religious institution. They are trying to steal the sheep, the believers, from the great shepherd, Yeshua. And they attempt this through their false teaching that their authority is the true authority. The Pharisees are the many thieves who, co- who came before Yeshua to assert their authority over God's. So, does the devil really come to steal, kill, and destroy? Here's what we now know. We know that the idea that the, that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy is meant to give us an enemy to target and blame when bad things happen to us. We also know that the devil really wants to harm us, but when we submit to God, we have the power to stand up against the accuser. This actually undermines the idea that the devil is as powerful as we sometimes make him out to be. So while the devil certainly seeks our destruction, by inserting him into John chapter 10, It assists in the creation of a doctrine of the devil that is not entirely accurate and possibly even harmful. It uses John 10 to supposedly sum up in a soundbite what the devil has the power to do over us, to do to to us, and to help us shift the blame to the devil for things that he may or may not be capable of doing. And all this is predicated on the idea that the thief in John 10 actually is the devil. But after looking at John 10 in context, we find that it actually has nothing to do with the devil at all. The thieves in John 10 are the Pharisees trying to steal Yeshua's authority and lead the sheep astray. Now, you could try to continue to defend the doctrine by saying that Pharisees are devils, or that there is a spirit of the devil which a thief would supposedly have, or by linking it back to the passage in 1 Peter, and all manner of biblical gymnastics. But again, this is all rationalization. If John 10 doesn't say that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, then you can't defend the doctrine by saying it doesn't matter who the thief really is in John chapter 10. Because we know that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's just circular reasoning, and it's not responsible use of the Bible. So, does the Bible really say that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy? No, it doesn't. But that's actually not the most important point of the lesson. As well intended as this doctrine of the devil may be, I'm wondering if the reason this teaching is so prevalent is because it hides, intentionally or unintentionally, the true meaning of the passage. Do you not find it ironic 
that by teaching that this passage is about something other than what it really is, it is obscuring the fact that this passage is about false teachers and the authority and sheep that they tried to steal from Yeshua. This topic is important, not simply because it corrects a biblically incorrect teaching, but because it reveals how easily we can be led astray by teachers, how readily we incorporate their teachings into our lives, because we ourselves are deeply unfamiliar with the texts that they are supposedly teaching us. My final point then is this. For all our Bible study, congregational attendance, and commitment to God, we are far more susceptible to outside influences than we realize. Without even being aware of it, we have granted authority to voices, even well-intentioned ones, and given them the power to persuade us to believe something other than what the Bible actually says. How did you answer when I asked, is it true that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy? If you've been misled over this one little scripture, then shouldn't you be wondering how much more of what you believe and practice is founded on a lie? I say this not to cause you to doubt your faith, but so that you might consider the true standard by which you walk. Watch out for the reasonable voices of religion and the logical teachings of men by whose thieving hands you may be destroyed. Instead, seek the pure, simple, perfect word of God and find abundant life in Yeshua through the scripture. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Biblically Correct Podcast. Please like, share, comment, subscribe, and ring the bell to receive notifications when we post a new episode. If you have any questions about this teaching or if there are any topics you would like to see me cover, please leave a comment. Or shoot me an email at kevin at perfectword.org. That's kevin at perfectword.org. To learn more about the Biblically Correct podcast or to support the work of Perfect Word Ministries, please visit our website at perfectword.org slash bcp. That's perfectword.org slash bcp. Until next time, remember that every scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for refuting, for setting aright, and for instruction that is in righteousness that the man of God may be fully equipped, having been completed for every good act. Shalom.